Or, yeah, if I was, like, gay, I could never, like, be with somebody in the closet who who was then, like, a cop. That That's too much. That would be so much. Yeah, it's a lot. Like, pick a struggle. You're either going to be in the closet or you're going to be a cop. You can't do both. <laughs> can't do both. Hello everyone, this is Alex. And this is Em. Welcome to the latest episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic. This is the podcast for TV lovers, movie buffs, and binge watchers of all ages. On this podcast, we'll be discussing what we loved, what we hated, and what's just a bit problematic about the TV and movies that we're addicted to, and do a bit of rewriting where necessary. For much more exclusive content, become a show producer on Patreon and get access to after-the-episode outtakes, curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. Join the GBB family at patreon.com forward slash good bad basic. Today, Emma and I will be discussing the first three seasons of the fast-paced crime drama, The Shield. The Shield's protagonist, Vic Mackey, and his three closest friends make up the Strike Team, a division of police detectives who are responsible for reducing gang activity, drug dealing, and prostitution in the local community. But the Strike Team, which starts off on the softer side of corruption, quickly devolves into full-blown criminal activity. What do we think about this series and how it handled some immensely flawed boys in blue? Stay tuned. All right, everyone. So you got a little bit of info about what the show's about. Here are some more details surrounding The Shield. The Shield is a crime drama, serial drama, and action series created by Sean Ryan. It aired from March 12, 2002 till November 25, 2008 on the FX network for seven seasons and a total of 88 episodes. The show stars Michael Schickless as Vic Mackey, Walt, Walton Coggins as Shane Vendrell, a member of the strike team, Catherine Dent as Danielle Danny Sofer, who is a uniformed officer and later Vic's baby mama, <clears throat> Kenny Johnson as Curtis Lim, Curtis Lemansky, they call him Lem. He's also a member of the strike team. Michael Jace as Julian Lowe, a uniformed officer as well, and Danny's partner. Excuse me. Jay Carnes as Holland Vengenbach. They call him Dutch. He's a detective. Benito Martinez as David Aceveda, um, the farm's first police captain. CCH Pounder as Claudette Wims. Uh, another detective and eventually the the farm's last captain before the series closes. David Reese Snell as Ronnie Kardaki, another member of the strike team. Kathy Kaylin Ryan as Corinne Mackey, Vic's wife. Glenn Close as Monica Rawling, the second police captain of the farm. David Marciano as Steve Billings, another detective. Paula Garces as Tina Hanlon, another uniformed officer. Reed Diamond as Terry Crowley. He is a temporary strike team member and a plant that was put in season one. So these are all the major players that we have. Even if you don't see these people on every episode, their names are going to be mentioned on every every episode or they play a major role in the overall plot of the show. Right. 
Correct. So I never watched the Shield when while it was airing. Um, I watched it. I think and I. I this is my first time watching it, but it is created by Sean Ryan, who I am familiar with and has done done some shows that I really love. Sean Ryan was a writer on Angel, and he he created and wrote um, Timeless, which is a show I hope we get to do eventually. Um, I don't know where it would fit. He he's great. I so it was it was interesting to watch this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, the Shield is a really good show. I actually didn't watch it when it aired either. So this show f- finished off in two thousand eight. I got married in two thousand nine. Yeah, I think it was early 2010. Um, my then husband was like, "Have you ever seen The Shield?" Because we were bin- binging a lot of shows. We were rewatching Roar. Shout out to the people who saw the one and only season of the only show Heath Ledger's ever been on. And so he told me about this show, and I was like, "No, I've never seen The Shield." And I wasn't really one for crime dramas, but he's like, "It's really good." So I think I binge watched all seven seasons in the, the span of a couple of months. And I was really, really impressed with this show and unflinching honesty. We'll get to that in a minute, but the show's very honest about police and police work. <laughs> right. And something else that like, once I started researching this show a bit, something that also stuck on me after, so season three going forward, the person who will sort of be like, taking the reins on the shield will be the in, the now infamous uh chick elgi is that if that's how you say his name lg elgi who fired orlando jones <laughs> and told mm. orlando jones that like oh well i know the black experience <laughs> this show does take a like a slight tonal shift in season three so knowing that is like hmm interesting <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so the 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 shield is largely based in a fictionalized district of LA called Farmington. And the so these um police officers and detectives work um their department is called the farm or the barn. Um and when we jump in, it's really cool because they already all have some type of working relationship with each other. We're not brand spank in the middle of any, we're not brand new to anything. We're just thrown right in the middle of it. And so we very quickly see what's going on and what's what's ha- what's happening. So Vic is the leader of the strike team. And then you have, um, you have Lem, Shane, and um, Ronnie who are the other three members of the strike team. Season one, Terry, um, who, spoiler alert, doesn't survive past season one, is put in as a plant. Um, now, the reason why I listed the character, though, and our main characters is because uh, Terry's death and the circumstances of it is something that has huge impact on the plot for the duration of the series. Um, the strike team... Everybody knows, everybody in that building, that police department knows that the strike team is doing some shady shit, but they can't prove it. However, their captain, Aceveda, he is running for city council. So he wants to root out any corruption before he before his run, before he's, he and his department are put under a microscope. Um, so <laughs> he puts in Terry, who's a plant, like Terry's an op, you guys. 
but Vic is tipped off by the assistant captain, Ben Gilroy. Now, really quickly before I go any further, everybody who knows a cop knows a Vic, a Ronnie, a Shane, or a Ben. Do not at me. (laughs) (laughs) Don't at me. (laughs) But um, Vic is the one who's not afraid to get his hands dirty. Shane is the one who's not afraid to do anything um, illegal up short of killing as long as he can make some money off of it. Ronnie's the one that does corrupt shit, but in the name of loyalty and brotherhood. And Ben is the one who, no matter how far up he moves up the ranks, he's always in some shady shit. Right. Right. Shane is just like an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to dive into that. Shane is 50 shades of stupid. (laughs) God. Every time Shane does something, I'm just like, what? Like, what is your life? Um, He's yeah. literally the only person that can make a bad, like, literally think through a bad situation and somehow make it worse. Right. <laughs> These aren't even impulse decisions. He sits and thinks about this. <laughs> oh, yikes. Yikes. Oh, Shane. I, I mean, I don't feel sorry for Shane. But, like, nothing. I have no, I have no, like, fuzzy feelings towards any of these people but like Shane in particular I'm just like well sir what did you like well you know what happens happens sir um there's another thing I love about the way this show is paced out like they don't waste no time I think about the shield and I honestly can't remember a single filler episode (laughs) right everything sort of has some something going on in it So let's talk about the killing of Terry and its multiple implications. Let's start with just the season one implications. So when Vic kills Terry, this is a move he makes on his own. He doesn't consult the rest of the strike team and the rest of the strike team doesn't even know. The only other member of the strike team who's there when he kills Terry is Shane. So he literally makes Shane a witness to this murder without his consent and frames a drug dealer named Two Time for the murder. So he kills his drug dealer, then kills Terry with the drug dealer's gun, making it look like the two of them killed each other, like in a shootout of some sort. And Azaveda is not the only person who believes that Vic and the strike team are corrupt. Dutch and his partner, Claudette, they also know that something is up there. It's just no one can prove it. And... The killing of Terry is what really starts to put the strike team under a a greater microscope. Right. Dutch and Claudette, the dream team. (laughs) (laughs) I love them. I don't care what anybody does. They were the funnest part for me. Like, I love their energy together. So, yeah. So, let me ask you a question. Do you think Vic really feels bad about killing Terry? Hell no. I was going to say, I'm like, does he really? I'm like, oh. No, no, because like he didn't. He really hadn't built a rapport with Terry. When we're thrown in, it's very clear that Terry's still the newest member of the strike team, and he's trying to like earn his wings or whatever. So you know, everybody's relationship is quite tentative with him. And then when Vic gets tipped off from Ben that he's an op, it's like all gloves come off. Honestly, killing Terry as fucked up as it was is probably one of the few things that Vic does where I'm like, I, okay, I can see where he's coming from. There's a lot that he does on the show that's so unnecessary. <laughs> right. The thing, and what I will say about Vic is that I think Vic really does think that what he is doing in terms of like his corrupt actions and framing the people who he wants to frame and like 
letting the criminals thrive who he wants to thrive. I think he really does think he is keeping some type of order. And he really does believe in all those things that he espouses to believe in, in terms of like brotherhood and safety and, and whatever, um, these higher ideals. But it's, it's just something he's telling himself to justify all these things. I don't think he, yeah. Right. It doesn't, he, he doesn't seem overly conflicted about what he has to do, only what he has to do in order to cover it up. Um, Vic is definitely like a hybrid of Clay Morrow from Sons of Anarchy and uh, Walter White from Breaking Bad. Mm, he is. He's definitely a hybrid between the two. Um, because I don't think he... Because I think he's just as psychotic as Walter in, in ways, but I think um, in other ways he does have the sort of clarity of a clay. And that, that fake brotherhood. <laughs> and that fake brotherhood stuff. So one of the things I found super interesting is, like you said, this sort of, how they sort of come to, how this show comes to police culture. Um, you know, everybody knows that Vic and the strike team are a problem, but nobody wants to deal with it unless and eradicating that problem unless it is to benefit to benefit them in some tangible way. Um, the only person that really feels like they're acting out of like a true desire to have things be fair and have the criminal justice system work the way it's quote unquote supposed to work is Julian is this the black cop Julian that's his name yeah no I would put Claudette on that list as well oh okay I see I would I I thought I put Claudette on that list as well too but then sometimes I guess in the later seasons I don't I don't know I feel like my girl wants the best, but she keeps getting blocked out by men in power, usually white men or women in power. Like Claudette really tries and they keep shutting her down. <laughs> you know what? And I agree with that. And to be and shout out to CCH Pounder, because I really do feel like Claudette is um Claudette really just brings that deep black girl energy to that whole situation for me, and that she knows it's all bullshit, but at the same time, she really understands. Like, she realizes that, like, the shit is shit, but it's, like, how much of myself am I really going to invest in that systemic change? She's, like, I, it seems like she understands, like, the things she can control and the things she just can't. Right. And later seasons, um, we'll talk about that on the next episode, she is effectively being punished by her own peers, Right. Um, when she does try to take a stand. So Claudette, I think is a really honorable person, but like you said, like she has to weigh the pros and cons. She can't let herself get railroaded because at the end of the day, she will suffer greatly and nothing will change. (laughs) Right. Right. And, and I think it's, and we'll talk about this later when we, in part two, but I think it's so fitting that after Aceveda sort of just like leaves and is like, all right, deuces, we out. Like, like all all this shit that is the barn, she now has to like clean up and fix. <laughs> Hashtag like, no more mewling. Um, <laughs> but the honesty on this show, right down to spe- specifically the Claudette character and how black women are treated, how gay cops are treated, specifically with the Julian character, I thought the show was a little bit too honest. I'm like, they let this shit mm. air? They greenlit this? <laughs> Right. But it's like, I don't know. But it goes back to your point of saying 
maybe they don't know. Like, maybe it's like, maybe at the time people are just like, oh, that's just the culture. <laughs> right. Or no, I legit believe that there were white people watching The Shield and they were like, oh, that's just the cops on this show. My daddy slash uncle slash cousin who's a cop could never. Could never. No, yes, they are like, so yeah, everybody on the strike team all the and all the cops really are once again like like sons very openly racist very openly sexist very openly misogynistic very openly homophobic and something that happens in the course of season 1 something that is fascinating to me is dutch um asks out trying to ask out the the female cop uh, that vic is sleeping with what's her name danny danny when he's trying to like moving on Danny there's a scene where he's trying to like oh like what are your interests or like would you go out with me and Vic comes in and he just lobs off these like crazy sexist homophobic misogynistic jokes and Dutch is clearly like uncomfortable and he's like no like why do you have to take it to that place and immediately like you see and immediately they make fun of him for it for like considering like hey like maybe being maybe making sexually like charged misogynistic jokes is like not a good thing like he's immediately made fun of it and it's 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 interesting to see how that psychology like the psychology of a bully sort of works in real time Right. And I mean, I've said this with my friends um, before, and I'll say it again. Vic, a lot of cops, and Vic Mackey is a perfect representation of that, are people who probably peaked in high school, and they were bullies then, and now they're bullies with badges. Right. And it's wild. Um, Everybody on the strike team is bully or bully adjacent. I just want to point that out. Like, if you could, t- you could take the four primary members of the strike team, Vic, Ronnie, Lem, and Shane, and put them in a high school environment, like age them down twenty years, and it's literally the head bully and like his cronies. <laughs> Absolutely, it really is. It totally, totally is. So Vic also frustrates me. Also, hashtag. I mean, Corinne makes it out in the end, so like I appreciate that, but like. Oh my gosh, poor Corinne, just from jump. So Vic has, do they have, they have three children, right? They, they have like uh, the oldest daughter, Matthew, their son who's autistic and the baby, right? Right. And then he has, he, well, not yet, not in season one. <laughs> um, so he and his wife have three kids. So Corinne is interesting because Vic is cheating on her and we know that, but she doesn't know that. But it's very clear Corinne's not fucking stupid. She knows that her her husband is not an honorable man. She knows he's doing something shady with the strike team. She knows at home he's doing something shady with the strike team, Every which everyone in that building already knows. But think about how ripe the corruption is that your wife suspects it. Right. Absolutely. She <laughs> And she talks to him about it constantly. She's like, what are you doing that has this family like wrapped up in like in in you know things that we don't need right 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 and he doesn't address it and like with cops like danny even if you don't know a vic a shane a ronnie a ben you at the very least know a danny danny likes to believe she's a good cop and you know 
70% of the time she is. But she also knows about Vic's corruption. And it's like she's it's like she's decided for herself that there is a certain level of corruption that is acceptable and even necessary. Right. That's true. Like, uh-uh. I'm like, sis, what are you doing? <laughs> so <laughs> midway through the first season, we have Connie. Connie is a is a addict, a meth addict, a CI for Vic. And um, she kills someone. She kills someone while she is, you know, high off a of kite tweaking. She's tweaking out of her mind. And, and during the tweak, she... She kills someone. And after she kills someone, she calls Vic to clean it up. Vic creates a story, right, that will keep her out of jail. But it involves beating her up, which is, like, horrifying to watch. And then on the sort of barn side, there are a string of sex workers who are being murdered. And Dutch sort of realizes it's it's a serial killer. But nobody else does. And he actually winds up being right. And everyone sort of gives him shit for it of like, why do you even care? But he he ends up being right and nabbing, in in nabbing uh, the serial killer. So that's that what happens midway through the season. I want to talk really briefly about so Julian, which is this black cop who is probably like our own, like besides Claudette, is our moral voice of the show. You know, he picks up this little light skin Latinx boo thing, and I. Just want to shout out to Latinx light skin boo because I could never, if I was with, or yeah, if I was like gay, I could never like be with somebody in the closet who who was then like a cop. That that's too much. That would be so much. Yeah, it's a lot. Like pick a struggle. You're either gonna be in the closet or you're gonna be a cop. You can't do both. <laughs> can't do both. I'm not living with both. Right, and like Julian, so at first. And I think this is like a very logical assumption. At first, you believe that Julian is just trying to keep his his um, sexual orientation out of his workplace, that he is comfortable with it, but that he just doesn't want to talk about it or have his coworkers learn about it. But then it becomes very clear that Julian is deeply ashamed of being gay and not just at work. Right. Like Julian is full on this train of like, there's something wrong with me. And he he even submits himself to some sort of like um, charlatan, Christian, uh, gay conversion bullshit. Hate to see it. Um, this kind of reminded me of um, in Big Love, that um, that man that Albie was having an affair with and how he had gone through that um, that adult conversion counseling thing <laughs> i'm just Terrible. like why do people torture themselves that way like it's one thing if you're an, a minor and your parents sends you there and that's horrific but then why as an adult would you do something so masochistic right don't do that to yourself like like particularly as an older person and like when you're older like because these people are like what third like way beyond their they all look way beyond their 30s like yeah let's say julian is a hard 32 33 (laughs) once you get to that point and you're like really sorting through the things of your life and you're really making peace with who you are and what your struggles have been and and you're maybe actively working yourself to fix the things that fix the things that hold you back like why would that like no like make peace with yourself (laughs) Just call it, call it a day. 
Right, right. Um, and I think that the either I don't it's a chicken and egg conundrum for me. I don't know if he became a cop because it's a representation of hyper masculinity and heterosexual uh, and heteronormativity or if um if being a cop only um, exacerbated those feelings of shame, we'll never know. But <laughs> Julian has a lot of issues and his, his repression and shame bleed into his relationship with all the other cops for better or for worse. Um, it becomes a real strain, even in his relationship with um, Danny, his partner who's training him. He is wound so tightly. Like he, he, he can't, he, he is in a place where he literally cannot function because he is so deep in this cocoon of like shame um it's really hard to watch but i think it's very honest and i think the way that um he is treated by the strike team in later seasons on account of being gay and how that information is used against him is also very honest of police culture real real danny is sleeping with vic why exactly like i get it you don't want to fuck with dutch i don't want to fuck with dutch either but at least get you a ronnie or a lem why vic <laughs> right why vic <laughs> like i i even understand like if you have to like get a lem you know what i mean <laughs> like a lem is pliable a lem is gonna is his compass is gonna eventually point north you know what i mean or like right. you get it too like but why vic why? And you know what? Literally, all the other members of the strike team have in com have in common that they don't have in common with Vic. They're not married. Exactly. Exactly. Everybody knows that Vic is married and has children. Everybody. Nobody's marriage in that department is a secret. <laughs> I hate it. That's it. That's all. I want to talk very briefly about two things. Going back to what you said about Dutch and um, his suspicion of, of there being serial killers. Dutch comes through a hero on the other end, you guys. He really does save the day. But it's another thing that I thought was really honest is how nobody but him cared that these um, prostitutes were being killed. There was a time, I still believe it's ongoing in most states in the United States, where if a prostitute, a street worker, any other type of sex worker was killed, um, the police report would literally say no humans involved. Like you're right. not entity. The fact that he cares is not something that the show made up, that he's the only one who cares and nobody else, even all these cops that claim to care so much about the community, care about. This is very real and indicative of police culture. Sex workers are seen as disposable non-human entities. I also want to talk very quickly about Vic and Corinne's son, Matthew, being autistic. It's something that will will roll over into other seasons and something that Vic will later use as a justification for more criminal activities. When we were discussing Breaking Bad, I made it a point to point out that um, everything Walt does is for Walt. He could never say that he did it for Skyler or for the kids. But on account of Matthew's autism, Vic now has a, a new justification for more criminal activities. <laughs> Right, because when he initially finds out, first of all, it's not even him, it's Corinne, right, who realizes that something's wrong because she is the one raising those children. Um, <clears throat> when, yep. when, when they're sitting down and having this conversation, he, you can tell, the way the show frames it, you can sort of tell that he's affronted, that, like, He's affronted by the diagnosis because he feels it, it's some sort of 
attack on his his male child masculinity even right right um or i mean i think it can be seen that way but i saw it more as he felt that it was an attack on himself like saying that he has a quote faulty child <laughs> is saying that there's something wrong with him like as soon as he gets a diagnosis the formal diagnosis the first thing that he says is he's not autistic he's a beautiful child and i'm like okay they didn't say your child was deformed fam <laughs> they said he right autism. i'm like that doesn't have anything to do with anything <laughs> right so it's like i don't make broken children is, is the vibe i got from him right which which it which is why i guess i say like masculinity it's like it's an attack on his like virility like as a man or it like within and of himself and then on his and then i guess by extension his child he's upset but then he it's just another thing he uses to justify all all of the crime right because matthew needs special schooling and he needs kind of like an a type situation think of um max on parenthood now i don't know if he is if matthew is higher or lower functioning than the max character because he's significantly younger but he needs he needs a lot of help at this stage um i think he's um, i think he's lower functioning because in the scene they mentioned that he should be talking by now and he's not talking oh yeah but that's like a common thing with kids who are autistic or add sometimes they they won't speak till they're like three or four or even five but then when they start talking they're like brilliant (laughs) so i don't know (laughs) i honestly don't know i'm gonna give matthew that blank slate all i know is that he needs a lot of help and thankfully um he there he they caught it young enough that they can help him um, and make significant strides with his future schooling. But then Vic is like, well, I need money now. Guess I'm going to have to go out there and get some money. <laughs> right. It's terrible. Um, the season closes with the assistant captain, Ben Gilroy, being arrested for a hit and run. Because Ben is your stereotypical alcoholic cop trope. The reason why the alcoholic cop, cop trope is such an o- overly used trope is because... There's so many alcoholic cops. Is that like a real thing? Oh, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So um, alcoholism is a big thing with cops. And just like um, prescription medication abuse is a big thing with people in like the medical field. Um, but, you know, people cite the long hours and the stress of the, the job, et cetera, et cetera. I've never been a cop. I don't know how stressful it is. I do know, though, at the very least, if you're going to get loaded why would you drive knowing, as a cop, that this is against the law? Mm. <laughs> like, Ben is someone who consistently thinks that he's above the rules, and we will continue seeing this for his duration on the series. Um, but the season closes when Corinne gets sick of Vic's shit, and she takes the children and leaves. I was so happy for her. <laughs> Yo, I wanted to stand up and clap. Not just because she did it, but because this happened the very first season. It wasn't like one of those things they drag out to the very end of the series. <laughs> very quickly. She made right. up her mind. And the show makes it clear that she's been going through this shit for a long time with Vic. Him being shady about what he and the strike team do. Him keeping hours that are not always like justifiable. And her, like you said, raising those kids alone. And him using his job as a justification for why he's not an active father. <laughs> So, and then that's season one. So what do we think about season one? I thought season one was very good. Very good. Yeah, I really like season one. I like um, 
although it's super jarring at first, the the sort of documentary um, running and gun style of like shooting the series, it's it is like it's a strong choice. I like that. I like it. It works. I think these characters are really great. I'm very interested in all of them. I'm fascinated by them. And so, yeah, I'm giving it a solid good. I think the thing that I respect the most is that we are thrown in and there isn't a lot of exposition. We do learn a lot about these characters rather quickly, about their relationships with each other rather quickly. And we can infer um, the history behind many relationships like Vic and Danny, um, Vic and Corinne, etc. So... I thought it was really, really well done. The writing is very, very strong that first season. I think all the seasons, but that first season I think was is exemplary. I think if you're going to do a first season and not do a lot of sit down and talking, this is how you do it. <laughs> so season two, where do we open on season two? Season two, uh, the farm or the barn is being audited after Gilroy's arrest. Remember, he is the assistant captain. He did get himself arrested. So now the barn is under the microscope. They're being audited. There's also a new gang lord in town named Armadillo Quintero. He's a whole psychopath. And all the Mexican gangs have united under this new drug lord. So that's how we open. Yeah, that's how we open. Um, I, I mean, to... To Vic's sort of, um, and we and he's yeah they're all uniting under Armadillo to Vic's uh, chagrin because he had already invested his money in the, the other gang. Guess you bet on the wrong horse, sweetie. He so he's <laughs> like, listen, what, what's up? <laughs> Could have so just put that money into stocks, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Also, something that's happening at the beginning, at the start of the season, is Vic is looking for Corinne. And I love, something I love about this plot is that the show is really honest about, honestly, how terrifying it is to leave a husband who is a cop. The reach of Vic's arm is long and wide. And Shout out to Corinne because she knew how to hide herself. But um, even though she's found eventually, but initially she she knows what to do to hide herself. But it's really terrifying. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a show really explore how scary that is uh, to leave a police officer besides sons. Right. Um, And so seeing this plot come up again was really satisfying because I can only imagine, you know, Vic was a bad husband, but if Vic had also been like beating her or like hitting her and was a cop, like, Oh my God, just terrifying. So terrifying. Yeah. I think like the one thing in the pro column of Vic Mackey's character is that he doesn't beat women unless he's trying to keep them out of jail. As we discussed, (laughs) that was crazy. Um, But yeah, I absolutely agree. I thought the honesty was so refreshing because I've heard various accounts of this story happening with women in real life all the time. How hard it is to get away from a cop, how many people they have in their pocket, how many favors they can pull in, how many of their brothers in blue are willing to go above and beyond to help them get their family back. How there are many shelters that don't even want to deal with the drama of housing a cop's wife and children when they're trying to get away. Because 
that could blow back on literally everyone else who needs that space. And nobody else talks about it. Nobody else talks about how this power, um, this privilege, this authority, and a lot of times this corruption is used against their families in, in situations of domestic distress. We won't call this domestic violence because it isn't, but domestic distress. She's trying to leave and he really won't let her. He When the detective does find Corinne, he finds out that Corinne is contemplating divorce. So he bites the bullet first and he files first because if he files first, he will increase his chances of retaining parental rights. I'm not really sure why he cares so much about that since we've literally never seen Vic spend any quality time with his children, but okay. Right, and they even say that in the dialogue. <laughs> like, Curran, in a scene somewhere, Curran says to him, she goes, you're never here. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Right, and I think it goes back to what you're saying about masculinity. Like, he just feels that as a father, he should have rights, visitation, custody, whatever. Not that he actually plans to make use of these things, but he would feel like less of a man if they the option were taken away from him. As we're talking about this, I'm just listening to him. I'm like, this sounds like the future Russell Wilson struggle. <sighs> yeah. Um, it absolutely <laughs> is the future Russell Wilson. I mean, Vic is not out here breeding as recklessly as future. <laughs> um, <laughs> but just but- in the sense of, like, if Corinne had gotten remarried and then found somebody who was going to be, like, a present father to these kids and like really love them, you know, Vic would be so angry in the same way that future is so angry. Yeah. But Even I think like, we unlike future, he would bust the cap in somebody's ass. <laughs> he, <laughs> would. he would. Vic would absolutely take out them kids stepfather. And you know that <laughs> it's true. At least future <laughs> is like, I'm too rich. <laughs> I'm too, I have too much money to just sit around and, uh, you know, shoot people. Right. Um, so yeah, all all the things that Vic does is super ugly. And again, Corinne was just contemplating divorce. And honestly, I feel like she's very calm and level-headed to only just still be thinking about it at this point. Because that ink would have already been dried on my papers. Listen, uh, super fair. So there is a so there's a scene that happens um either at the beginning of season two or the end of season one. I think it's the beginning of season two, if I'm wrong. Sorry. But there's a scene that happens where Vic is arresting a trans woman, a trans mm-hmm. woman sex worker. Julian ends up beating her. And the scene bothers me. It really bugs me. So the scene bothered me as well because of how violent it was. Um, but I actually thought the writing captured the characters pretty well. And I'll explain what I'm talking about. So we already talked about how the characters are incredibly misogynistic, they're incredibly racist, and they're incredibly homophobic. So it stands to reason that they are incredibly transphobic as well. Never once do they actually respect this woman's gender. They're constantly referring to her as a he. Um, and she, she absolutely says that she's been arrested before and she doesn't want to be with the men because when she was actually, the last time she was in jail or in prison, um, she, um, she contracted HIV there. Um, and, um, they, 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 they laugh about this. They don't care. Um, it's, and they kind of, Vic is very clear already that Julian is gay and he kind of, um, uses this information to try to 
peer pressure Julian into attacking this trans woman. And even that made sense for me in regards to Julian's character because Julian feels so much shame. And in the LGBT community, trans people are kind of like at the bottom of the totem pole. I even see transphobia among cis gay people. So it's like, it's it's kind of like a situation where well, the pressure's not on me right now. It's on this person that's even more vulnerable than me. Because who's more vulnerable than a cis gay man? A black trans woman. So in this, in this, in this scene when he's beating this trans woman, I don't just seeing see him uh enacting violence against this trans woman in order to like gain the approval of his peers. I also see him exercising his own shame with being gay. Um, and that's what made the scene uncomfortable for me to watch is just how much Julian hates himself. Season two, the, the complete psychopath, Armadillo, um, crosses lines that even the, the cops didn't think he would cross. So everybody has a code of honor, even among criminals, but Armadillo does not. And they learn this very, very quickly. Everybody tries to put Armadillo in his, in his place, blackmail him strong arm him everything that they try to do to like keep this dude in check fails and then eventually he even rapes a little girl which is which puts claudette on edge as it should eventually though the situation is dealt with via vic's corruption i know michelle obama said when they go low we go high but vic was like no when they go low we go even lower (laughs) so Vic gave a small time criminal a knife or a blade or whatever um, when they finally got Armadillo in the cage, which is, which is like the holding cell, and was like, here, kill this dude. And that's how they finally get rid of that problem. I know. Yeah, that was nuts. That whole that was thing crazy. was like super crazy. Like, remember um, they tried to burn that dude to get him in check, and he was just like, okay, disfigure me. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> right. He just sort of was like, oh, okay. Part of the Armadillo plot that I could have like left was it definitely feels like it's a plot to make me sort of love these characters or to make me come to the conclusion that all of this is in some type of like right and I don't know I wasn't feeling that (laughs) like just that's just a general thing I, I never like quite feel but um but it was good it was good and it, it was effective. Yeah, that's the I have this I had the same feeling as well. I'm like, are they trying to get me like on team Danny where like a little bit of corruption is okay? <laughs> like, um, I didn't like it either, but I did like that this this particular element was dealt with because what one thing a grievance that I have with a lot of shows is that they will have like a super super antagonist like this. And they will just exhaust them and we'll see this person recurring, recurring, recurring. And it's almost like they're a super entity that no one can deal with. <laughs> like, it's it's annoying. Right. No, that's fair. Um, so on this season, another major thing that happens is that Danny kills a Muslim man during a confrontation. And Julian, because like Alex said... Um, with the exception of him viciously beating this transgender black woman, um, tries to be on the morally right side. And he is unable to back up her account of events. And yeah, since a man's widow is threatening to sue the department and her partner can't back up her story, 
she is fired this season. And she deserved, like, I don't, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> like, I was like, well, I girl. agree. She did deserve to be fired. <laughs> well, girl, you should have, should have, should have, should have, could have, would have. Um, listen, she played herself. <laughs> she played herself because she was out here because she covered up for Vic's crimes and she covered up for, for Vic when he did his stuff. And she never, took this store, this sort of, you know, well, this is what we're not going to do type stand. And, you know, she, she placed her bets. She thought that the patriarchy would, would love her and cover her if she didn't say anything. And she did everything that she was supposed to do. And she found out the hard way that like, no, like you're going to get got too, babe. Right. Um, the dick can't be that good, first of all. It just can't. Um, but <laughs> this is this the same thing that bothered me in the whole Gemma Clay and how their marriage dissolved bothered me here. I I wanted Danny to go through this, but I did not want it to be because Julian was quote unquote a bad partner. I wanted her to be fired directly as a result of covering for Vic. <laughs> Mm. See, and then I mean, and that's real. Um, I guess, I guess I never came out with the, cause I guess I guess I never came out with like Julian's a bad partner. I just came out with like Julian did what he was supposed to do. Julian did what really everybody's supposed to do. Oh no no no! That's why I said quote yeah. unquote. Like sh- she definitely blames Julian for right. not backing her. But yeah, like I don't blame, blame Julian herself. whatsoever. She should blame herself. And like I said, I wanted this go to go to wanted this to go down because because she covered for Vic. Vic for whatever reason was un, would be unable to reciprocate and then she learns the hard way. I think th- the way that this situation went down only puts more stress on the Julian character for quote unquote um breaking ranks and not doing what he had to do to cover for his partner. Cause that's something that's seen as like a big deal in police work. No matter what goes down, you are on your partner's side. And it's a very, very toxic line of thinking. Right. It's toxic. And it's something that this show and it's and, and I guess the reason why I have a lot of like for the Julian character is it's something that every time he is up against this sort of idea of the the blue line and the brotherhood, he he eschews it every time. He's like, no, that's not a thing. That's not a real thing. Like, if you do a bad thing, then you need to be punished for the bad thing. Um, or you need to face consequences for the bad thing. Because if we don't sit here and... Uh, because if we do not take that stance, um, it's chaos. Which, yes. <laughs> and herein lies the, the, the plot of the show. Right. And, I mean, with the Julian character, he's very green, very wet behind the ears. It's clear, um, painfully clear immediately, that he really doesn't understand how truly corrupt um, the department as a whole and most of the individual members are. And it's sad to see. Um, you know, I think he thought going in that every cop would be a Claudette. <laughs> Baby, sorry. No, sorry to break sorry. it to you. Um, but the the season ends with the the strike team learning about the Armenian money train. And this isn't a physical train. It's basically a, a underground network of money laundering. And they decide to rob the Armenian money train. They successfully pull off this heist 
essentially stealing from the Armenian mob, because that's always a good idea. I would never steal from the mob. You don't, mob ties are so unpredictable, like in terms of who they know and their connections, you, that can go so left so quick. (laughs) Right. Like you're literally just better off robbing a grocery store. Like I used to say you're better off robbing a bank, but remember how, um, there was a JP Morgan cargo ship where they found 20 tons of cocaine last year and nothing happened. Um, <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure the banks got mob ties too. So don't rob them. Just go rob the grocery store or something. <laughs> the Armenian mob heist will be what really puts them in deep, deep doo-doo for the rest of the run of the series. It's one of the sort of, it's the thing that will have a uh, huge, huge implications down the line. Right. If it's not the money heist, it's the it's Vic's murder of Terry. One or the other or both of these things is always like a ghost following, haunting the strike team. It never goes away. And I really love this show for that. We talked about Buffy and how it doesn't really forget certain narratives. On an action show, it's even easier to just throw certain narratives behind you and be like, oh, wrapped up now. But, like, no, Terry was a real person, a real cop that Vic killed. And this money train is real money from a real mob that does not forget. (laughs) So, no, we're not forgetting about any of this. Right. Um, And that is season two. So what do we think about season two? Um, I thought season two was really good. Um, Although I didn't, I really hated Julian's behavior I thought it was really brave writing. And I really love the fact that the Danny character got fired this season. She's hyper annoying to me, and I'll, I'll get into it in later seasons. Her her very middle of the ground stance, um, she basically was forced to pick a side. She picked the wrong side, and she was on the outs. I thought that was very, very satisfying. I could have done without the rape of the little girl. Thankfully, none of that was shown on screen. Um, But season two was very gritty. The action is really good. The pacing is good. The show's never boring. I'll give it that. (laughs) Right. No, yeah, that's real. That's super real. I like season two. Season two expanded on some characters that we already met. Um, I think the action, I mean, not, I think like it, the action definitely ramps up in season two. Yeah, season two is good. I'll give it a solid good. All right, so season three, they get a couple more episodes in their order. They have 15 episodes this season. And we we pick up exactly where we left off. It hasn't like season two started a couple months after Corinne had left. Season three, no, we are right in the thick of it. The strike team has the money and they quickly learned that some of the money was marked for a federal case. So not only did they pick the wrong people to rob, they picked the wrong time to rob them. So now the Armenian mob is 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 after them or whomever because they don't know who stole but they're after somebody and dutch highly suspects that the strike team is behind this and he's closing in on them as well it's a shit show dutch knows the truth no dutch always (laughs) dutch always knows or at least suspects the truth i i give him mad mad props for that he's an awkward little guy but he's a sharp cop he's a sharp cop um Dutch is like, and it's so weird for me to like Dutch so much because I hate him. The The actor who plays Dutch on The Shield also plays 
Tara's ex-boyfriend on Sons, and I hate him so much in Sons, but I love him so much <laughs> on this show. And I feel like that's that's acting. That's an actor. Um <laughs> I mean, Dutch has his dark side too, which will be revealed um in 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 which I, yeah. Which I can't decide if I liked or not. Like I'm still deciding how I feel about it. I don't I'm on the side of I think it was dumb. But I'm also on the side of, uh, I guess that's interesting because that's like also a real thing is like, psych- they're, like not every psychopath is like a murderer and like weird. Some of some of them, well, they're all, all, all of them are weird, but some of them are just weird and normal. Right. I and think it it's, all, it's a huge misconception that they're all killers. Yeah. There's some people, some of them are just weird and normal and it's all, but, and it all has to do with like your socialization when you're a child. Cause there is that guy that, um, that neuro, that neuroscientist that mm-hmm. found out he was a psychopath and he's like, no, like, and he's like, I'm not like particularly happy about it. I, it explains a lot. Um, but like, it sucks. Cause like, I kind of hate that. Like I cause my wife and my kids pain or like, or like, I'm not, it, it sucks. That, like I'm not as sensitive to their needs as like I need to be. And I notice that, but like, I don't know how to I've always struggled with fixing it. Mm-hmm. Like, and this is clear, like it's because I don't have like a natural inclination towards it. So that sucks. Um, but like, no, I like my life. Like I'm, I'm a pretty normal person. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, the Dutch character, it's a lot and it's pretty complex. And I thought it was, it was good that they gave him such complexity for a character that is not always necessarily in the thick of things. Um, and really quickly before we go on, um, the actor who plays Shane, it also plays a transgender woman on Sons of Anarchy and ends up being uh, Tig's girlfriend on that show. And we also see the actor who played Captain Aceveda um, guest starring on a couple episodes of that show as well. So there's a lot of crossover. And the the primary black gang on the show, the One Niners, is also the primary black gang on Sons of Anarchy. And that's because Kurt Sutter worked on both shows. He was a producer here on The Shield. Right, he even shows up in a couple episodes, uh, season two. Right, right. Um, <laughs> which is interesting. I guess he was like getting his feet wet with with acting. Um, he apparently no, he apparently like has his BA in acting. Like he went to acting school. Oh well, that's interesting that he spends so much time behind the camera. But you know, he does great work there. We can't complain. Right. Um. So yeah, the strike team is is in a world of hurt. And I really don't, I'm really trying to figure this shit out, you guys, because the strike team works directly with these local gangs, the Mexican gangs, the black gangs, Salvadorans, whatever. So like, why didn't you just rob one of their stash houses instead of the fucking mob? Because like, they're too close. They're too close to, to the, to the ones that they work with. Or was it just not enough money to be had? Because they got a lot of money in this loot. Maybe. Maybe. Either way, it was a very risky decision. And Lem kind of like panics, justifiably, honestly. But he starts to panic when he sees that so much of the money is marked. And he burns a large amount of it in a desperate attempt to protect the strike team. So he did like something 
extreme, but he did it with the best of intention and honestly probably bought them a little bit of time by burning that money. Right. No, yeah, Lem makes the Lem makes the smart decision. Also, something interesting is that I think this season is where Lem starts to be like, I don't know if we're we're gonna do this. Right. And it's like you said earlier when I talked about Danny and her choices. Lem is that one that could be molded. <laughs> he 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 fell in with the wrong crowd, but you could, you know, you can mold him. Right, right. He starts to really question Vic's decisions and like whether what they're doing is truly um, helpful. Because before, I think he justified it as, well, you have to do a little bad for the greater good, right? <laughs> the the greater good has to outweigh the, the bad. Um, that's in his mind, which sounds psychotic because it is. And Every corrupt person ever. That's their I- mantra. I mean, seriously, sing it. And this is like the season where he's like, okay, but like now we're just doing bad things. So, so what's the, and more bad things just keep happening. Uh, we're not living out this ethos that we claim that uh, we stand by. So what's the truth? Right, right. So this season, another thing that happens, and this is why I say Claudette is the purest of them all. She's a hero, but she's a black woman. We knew she'd be the one taking taking the lead as far as morality and ethics. There is a public defender who, it turns out, had been a drug user, like a functional drug addict. And so she wants to reopen some of the cases of this public defender who's just been recently killed. And in so doing, because they don't want to reopen these cases, she steps on the DA's toes and she is denied her promotion to captain. So we see Claudette trying to do the right thing and Claudette being punished. There we go. <laughs> right. Damn. Like in real time, just see what happens when you try to do the right thing. Like, and and like... It's not like she hasn't been a cop for several decades now. She didn't know that this was going to happen um, or that something of this nature wasn't going to happen. But after this happens, like the people at the barn, like her own department, start acting shitty toward her. And they start treating Dutch shitty by extension, by association. Right. And I mean, I guess shout out to Dutch, like a real one. He sort of like he doesn't. At least he doesn't treat her like like shit. Right. I mean, but Dutch is like, if we're being honest, Dutch and Claudette are probably the only people in that department who aren't constant victims of peer pressure. <laughs> right. They're the only ones who, <laughs> who think for themselves. <laughs> um, Hate to see it, but that's the truth. But that's the truth. That's why they're the dream team. Okay, you guys, I love their <laughs> partnership so much. It just consists of Dutch saying dumb things and then um, Claudette having like these really like amazing reactions and mm. like him being like weird and her being like super cool. And like I, I would have watched their buddy cop spinoff. That would have been so cool. And like, let's be real, like if you're going to be working as a, as a black woman being partnered with a white cis het man, Dutch is really the best you could hope for. <laughs> like, he really is the best you could hope for. <laughs> oh, that's so it, It's so sad that that bar is where it is, but that's where it is. So, yeah, um, 
Azevedo promised her a promotion to captain once he got elected because he wins the primary. Um, but the DA is like, nope, <laughs> you ain't going nowhere, sis. You already starting too stirring up the pot too much at the position where you're at. You can stay there. Um, another significant change in season three is that Shane begins dating a woman named Mara. The minute we meet Mara, we know that this bitch is trouble and Vic knows it too. <laughs> Uh, but he proposes when he finds out that she's pregnant. Mara was all it was the only Mara was as good as it was gonna get for Shane anyway. Right, but it's like as good as it gets for Shane is <laughs> not terribly good. <laughs> Mara is like a three and a half can of crazy. That's it. That's I don't know how else to describe her. So Mara wants to be Gemma Teller, but she don't. She doesn't have the the finesse um, to manipulate on that level. She wants Shane to break away from Vic, and she causes this huge rift between them. But it doesn't make Shane's life better, nor does it give him any more power. Right, um, and she, it's not even like she then wields power. You know what I mean? Because it was at least with Gemma. Gemma manipulated but then Gemma also herself just held so much power what does Mara do Mara ain't doing nothing Mara's just out here instigating planting seeds causing drama and none of it it helps her or Shane like her Shane and Vic are suffering because baby girl is obsessive and possessive about her man but like did you get the likes did you get the clicks (laughs) Did you get the engagement? <laughs> like, nothing. So what accurate. is it all for? That's so accurate. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. But um, this season, again, Dutch, Dutch to the rescue. Dutch becomes obsessed with the case of a serial rapist. Like, this this dude was, like, living at his auntie's house or something, right? Yeah. But he was, like, a serial rapist. And, like, no one could no one could solve this case. No one could figure out what was going on. And then Dutch cracks the case and the department literally gives him like a round of applause. It's beautiful. Right. Shout out to Dutch. Dutch is just out here. Um, I also want to make a, a few shout outs to uh, Mama Jen from Lincoln Heights. The actress who plays her is on this season. So she, uh, Yeah, Nikki Michonne. She's on this episode. I'm so happy to see her. Yeah. Like, I love I love when they hire, like, the good black actors. And I'm going to say this about this show. Like, CCH Pounder is, like, OG. Getting her on your show is a big deal. When I saw her name and then later I saw Glenn Close, I was like, okay, they're really pulling some strings to get some actors. Yeah, I know. They're, like, they're they're doing something. They're doing some things. Also, um, Reggie, Ron Real uh, Real Lee, is on uh, an episode this season. And it was um, from Survivor's Remorse. And it was lovely to see him as well. I always, yeah, always enjoyed him when even, I see him. I hadn't even remembered in, uh, until I saw the rewatch that he was there. Like, I remember the character, but for the life of me, I couldn't remember the actor's face. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's a, We get a lot of faces, which you would expect. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of... Uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, guest characters and recurring characters. But I think everybody, even the, the smallest characters on this show played their part so well. Even the Mara character is irritating as she was. That was some good acting. Right. She's excellent. And I guess I always look for like, I'm always interested in who they cast in some of these guest spots, because I feel like 
and this is crazy. This is crazy. I know it is, but go with me here. I feel like it says a lot about the taste level. You know what I mean? I agree. I feel like I it agree. says a lot about the taste level. No, I fully agree. Just because it's a just because it's a guest character doesn't mean that you can half ass it. <laughs> right. Like, you still want an actor who is going to bring their whether it's fifteen lines or one line and bring bring that delivery strong. Exactly. Yeah, that's real shit. Um, so another thing that happens this season that's really disturbing, and honestly, I don't think that this was necessary at all, was that Captain Azaveda is sexually assaulted. Um, he is in some sort of confrontation with a criminal, and the criminal forces um, Azaveda to give him fellatio. Um, and this is a thing that his trauma surrounding this becomes a, becomes a, a, a minor part of the plot in later seasons, but I literally truly could not wrap my head around why this plot point was necessary. Same. I didn't, I didn't, I don't get it. <laughs> I like, didn't, what is it supposed to prove? What is it supposed to reveal about Aceveda? Nothing. It didn't do anything. It felt like it just happened for the sake of happening. I felt like it had, and then even more importantly, I felt like it happened to be like, ooh, a man got sexually assaulted. Aren't we deep? And I'm like, well, no. <laughs> like, if you're not going to use it to, like, say anything, which they didn't. So it's like, uh. Not just any cop. I mean, not just any man. He's a cop, and he's also, like, a politician. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, it's a mess. But the season closes out with uh, Danny cutting a deal with Azaveda to try to get reinstated as a police officer. And her deal is directly in involving um, Vic and maybe trying to get information on Vic and the strike team. So she's really desperate for her job back and she's willing to flip on her man. It is what it is, I guess. I guess. Um, um, so like Even that part, as much as it annoyed me, made sense because Danny is a person that would do something like that. But uh, the sexual assault, I felt, was uh, unnecessary, gratuitous, and it's mildly exploitative. Uh-huh. No, like I, yeah, I agree. Unless it's gonna say something or make a point or be like this really instrumental thing in seasons going forward, I always question the point of like a sexual assault or a rape. Like, what, like, why? It has to really be there to like do something. And right. Say something. Yeah, and it really doesn't. If anything, it was, it just, all it did was take the Azaveda character like down a peg, quote unquote. That's that's was the, the only purpose. I did not see this coming at all. Shit really came out of nowhere. Um but um overall, I think season three, especially the way that they handle the way Claudette is treated, the tension brought in by the Shane Vic Mara dynamic, I thought was was good. Not as good as the previous two seasons, but still good. What do you think of season three? Season three is, I mean, aside for the aside from the sexual assault, which bugged me, I also like season three as well. So I like Dutch really honing in and and you know putting our strike team, uh, putting their backs up against the wall. I think that's important. I liked that. I really like him catching the serial rapist. That was great. Uh, there's just a lot of good here. 
Yeah, there's a lot of good here. I think one of the things I like about the show, particularly in season three, is that they don't spend, I think, an unnecessary amount of time on each plot point. Everything is shown to you and then integrated into other larger things. It's kind of like a snowball effect, which I enjoy. Like, I feel like if you just keep beating that dead horse, um, mm-hmm. it, it, can, it can feel a bit redundant and it does make the pacing of the show feel off. I will say, though, that this is the last season that, like, I have the least problems with. <laughs> Moving forward, I have more problems, I think, with the back half of the series. Um, and I don't know what to make of that. So, uh, we'll, but we'll get there. there you have it folks this is everything that we think made the first half of the shield good bad basic and completely unforgettable if you'd like to check out the series the shield is currently streaming on hulu please let us know your thoughts on this series via our twitter or instagram if you're a gbb patron on our top two tiers be sure to check out the shield spotify playlist if you've enjoyed this episode of the good the bad the basic be sure to share it with your friends Tune in next week when we'll be diving into the last four seasons of this FX crime drama. Follow The Good, The Bad, The Basic on all major podcast platforms to listen to all of our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes on your social media. Please follow us at The Good, Bad, Basic on Twitter and at Good, Bad, Basic Pod on Instagram to get in on our daily content. Also, be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic. If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Until next time, bye everyone.